You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Did you know how you celebrate today? As we're singing and as we're worshiping, did you know how you celebrate today is dependent upon how you view yourself today? Not just how you view yourself, but most importantly, how you view Christ, but how you view yourself in light of what Christ has done. Today is a day of celebration, make no mistake about it. This is the Super Bowl of the church, if you will, as we celebrate what we just sang, that Christ built his church upon the rock of the fact that he was the risen Savior and Lord. That we are the people that testify of the fact that Jesus is alive. That he rose again from the dead. This is who we are, people that testify of the resurrection. So we celebrate that very fact that we serve a resurrected Savior. Today we celebrate that we were once lost and now are found. Today we celebrate that we were once dead in our sins, but now we are alive. But how you celebrate today is related directly to how you view yourself. By how you celebrate today, what I mean is is that your celebration of your foundness is directly proportional to your understanding of your previous lostness. Your celebration of your aliveness today is directly proportional to your understanding of your previous deadness. What I mean is you're celebrating the fact that you really don't know how good Good Friday is and how great Sunday is unless you realize how bad it would be for you if it didn't happen. This is how we and why we celebrate today. So again, I'll come back to it. It is a day of celebration, but your celebration is incumbent upon how you view yourself and what Christ has done for you. We celebrate the fact that Christ is alive. So maybe we could ask the Holy Spirit today to illuminate and show and remind us of how bad it was so that we can best celebrate how good it really is. That Jesus is alive. And it's so much more than putting on my best Sunday clothes and showing up today. It's the fact that we have hope in a Savior. You know, when we are... Uh, saying something is, is bad or, or good or whatever it is, a lot of times we'll double up the word, right? To say something like, like if I'm hungry, I'll go, I'm hungry, hungry. Am I the only one that does that? Like, you know, like, like I'm, I'm tired, tired. Or we're poor, poor, right? We would say stuff like that. And so maybe we could take that and move that to what we're thinking about as it relates to celebrating the cross, that we could have that emphasis today with our thanksgiving and our gratitude because it was bad, bad for us. We were lost, lost. We were dead, dead. But now because of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, we are alive, alive. Amen. 
I love what 1 Peter says, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. This would be the final salvation unto eternity, ready to be revealed in the last time. There is the present salvation, if you will, or the past salvation, salvation from my sin. And then there's the ongoing sanctification, the saving day after day that I need. And then there's this salvation, which is the consummation of us being saved that one day we'll all take and inherit in Christ, revealed in the last time. But this is Peter in this particular passage lifting up praise. He's excited, excited, right? So he's praising, praising. All right, I'll stop. Okay. Blessed be the life-giving, death-defying, overpowering God of absolute, miraculous mercy who has given us a living hope through the resurrected Lord. And why does this matter? Because all of us need hope. Maybe you came in here today and you feel hopeless. And that's okay. Because in Christ, there is hope now and forever. And why do we need hope? Because life is hard. Amen? Or is it easy for you all? No, life is difficult. Life is hard. And it's because of that way, because of the fall and how we are now living in a fallen world. And even if you believe in Jesus, even if you follow Jesus, you're going to face really difficult things in this life. And if somebody told you other than that, they're not really preaching the gospel to you. When you serve Jesus, I used to think that maybe we have less difficult times. I'm not so sure that we don't have more difficult times, but we have a Savior who's with us in the middle of those difficult times. But the God who raises the dead, here's what Peter's saying, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who raises the dead back to life, is your God, and he's with you. So he is with you. The God of the impossible is with you. The God of miracles is with you. The God who has given you a new full life through the Son, Jesus, is with you. And the life he gives is filled with unconquerable, unassailable, living hope. We have hope. Yeah, you can applaud that today. Hope in Christ. However, I will say this. We should not just look at the resurrection story today and just talk about what we get out of it. Our salvation because of what Christ has done is a blessing. And the benefit that we receive because of what Christ has done in this grand story of of the resurrection is is almost mind-boggling, if not just unimaginable what Christ has done. But if that is all that's about what has happened for me, the story becomes all about me and not about my Savior, King Jesus. And the gospel is about Jesus and what he has done, and it's not about me. A lot of people talk about the gospel. Gospel-centered, gospel-driven, gospel-revealing. We, we call ourselves a gospel-revealing community as the church. We preach the gospel. Well, the gospel is not about me. It is first and foremost about Jesus. And then what it does for me. It's good news for me, but it's about him. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you 
which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And what is that? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the 12. This is where the church was founded that we are people of the resurrection. That's why we would say, he's alive, and the response would be, he's alive indeed. We're people of the resurrection. And only after we've acknowledged and focused on the King, King Jesus, can we talk about the unbelievable redemptive benefits that Jesus offers us because of the gospel. Even then, it's only by grace and nothing that I've earned or somehow got God's attention. Oh, I'll give him something good. No, all that we receive from him is by grace alone. So let's rewind the story a little bit today. That was just a little bit of an intro so that we could understand what the gospel is all about, maybe to a better degree. But I want to rewind a little bit because you don't get an empty tomb without first having a death and a burial. I want to go back to eight difficult words that Jesus prayed that changed the course of history and that also changes us today. These words are found in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 22, and we're going to look at those verses surrounding the Garden of Gethsemane. But the verse that I'm talking about, Luke 22:42, these eight words that changed history, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But here, here's those eight words, yet not my will, but your be done check this out there is no it is finished without their first being yet not my will but yours be done these painfully difficult words were prayed by Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and I think we all know how hard it is to pray these words don't we because we'd rather get what we want and get it now that's kind of like our prayer isn't it normally and we started with a lot of, pla dear, holy, most heavenly God, Father, Jesus, the, the great I am. We try to think of every name we could think of, bright morning star, resurrected Lord. Would you please give me my will? Dear gracious, gracious, merciful Lord, uh, my will, and could you make it fast and make it easy? I pray in the great name of your Son, Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, and, and anybody else that could help at this point, amen. <laughs> but in order to have a resurrection, something first has to die. We don't get to celebrate Sunday without first having to go through the devastating difficulty of Friday. We don't get to celebrate Sunday without first having to go through the silence and the anguish and the waiting of Saturday. We want a resurrection in this life without having to go through the pain of death. And the Christian life just doesn't work that way. It's understandable that I would want it to work that way. But it's impossible. There has to be a death before you can have a resurrection. There has to be a death before you can have a resurrection. Isn't this what the Christian life starts with? If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it starts with a death. That you are now raised to a 
new life. This is imperative to understand. We must die first to our old selves, to our old lives, to our old patterns, to our old habits, so that we can be raised to a new life. Jesus said as much in Mark 8, 35, for whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And that's just the beginning of our new way of living. Because from that point forward, we constantly have to die to what? All kinds of things. I constantly have to die to my pride. I constantly have to die to my fears, die to my anxieties, die to my jealousy, die to my desires that are in contrast to God's desires for my life. I'm constantly having to die to those things. But it's actually good news that I do that because in Christ, death always leads to an abundant new life. Only in Christ can we defeat the enemy. This is where defeats turn to victories. This is where mourning turns to dancing. This is where sorrow turns to joy. And death of the old always leads to the resurrection of the new. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because here we are, we're still here, it is a finished, defeated foe, but yet the consummation of that fully will not happen until Christ returns. So now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in who? The Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you notice how we live today? Not with just wishful thinking, not with just good morality, not with just trying to do more good than I do bad. No, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved and died for us. So if there are those in this room today who want to live by faith in the Son of God who took your place, then by grace, let's learn how to pray in such a way that Jesus prayed that allows us to go from death to life as we just sang about, that that should be our testimony. So let's look at the context now, back to Luke chapter 22 of verse 42 that I read a moment ago. And it should not have come as a surprise to the disciples that Jesus was praying this way because back in Luke 11, he taught them how to pray this way. When he taught them the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, he said, when you pray, you're to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it shouldn't have been a big shocker that Jesus is now praying that very prayer. He's about to lead the way by praying this prayer, not in some easy moment, but in the most terrifyingly horrific of situations. Verse 39 of chapter 22 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where it was located, on the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus, in accordance with the prophecies of Isaiah 53, 5, would begin to be crushed, in essence, for our iniquities. That's exactly what Gethsemane means. It means an olive press. Think about an olive press. You know how soft an olive is and what happens when it's pressed? It's not pretty. This is what Gethsemane means. It's an olive press. It's a place of crushing. And this is the weight of grief and sadness that was crushing Jesus, pressing in on him as he went to the Father in prayer. So much anguish that the capillaries in his forehead burst and blood starts pouring out of his head. And he was about to endure physical anguish. And he was feeling that already, the fact that he would be separated from his Father. The Bible goes on to say, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Why did Jesus say that? 
Why did he say, pray that you would not fall into temptation? I believe it was because he knew exactly what was about to happen. And he knew that what was about to happen could derail their relationship with God. That's what temptation is at its core, right? It's any experience or circumstance or situation that we go through in this life that entices us or has the capacity or power to disconnect us or separate us from the love of God or disconnect us or separate us from the body of Christ called the church. How many of us have been through situations where we didn't just walk away from God, but we walked away from the body of Christ, the church, because we went through something. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm praying that that won't happen, that you won't fall into the temptation of falling away. So a series of events is going to happen rapidly. He's going to be taken. He's going to be tried in a mockery of a trial. He's going to be tortured gruesomely. He's going to be crucified on a cross. And it's going to look like evil is won. It's going to look like God is gone. It's going to not just look bad. It's going to look hopeless. Jesus knows this is coming and, and that these types of situations would lead any of us to fall to the temptation of not believing in the goodness and the love and the power of God. But he says to his disciples, don't fall to the temptation to forsake God. See, we oftentimes think of temptation as like, oh, they're just, you know, it's the temptation to do something bad. It's the temptation to not do something that I, sh I know I shouldn't do. No, he's talking about the greatest temptation, and that's the temptation to walk away from our faith. I believe there are many of you that are here today, or maybe watching online, that God wants to say the same thing to you even now. Maybe that's why you're here. Those of you who find yourselves in your own garden of pressing and crushing with your own anguish and grief, and it's tempting you to doubt the goodness, the love, and the power of God. You're wondering if God's still there. You're wondering if he hears you. You're wondering if he cares, that if he's actually listening to your prayers because you're going through a situation that is pressing in on you. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the diagnosis of a terminal illness. It could be the pain of betrayal. It could be the battle with infertility. It could be the hopelessness of seemingly unanswered prayers in on end that just keep happening, it seems. But the reason that you're here today is because God wants to tell you that just like Friday was not the end of Jesus' story, whatever you're going through today does not have to be the end of your story. It might feel like Friday or Saturday in your circumstances right now, but I'm imploring you, and this is what Jesus is saying, don't give up, don't stop trusting in God because God's not finished. We just sang it, if you're not dead, he's not done. If you belong to Jesus, his will is still being accomplished and fulfilled, and Sunday is always coming. In Christ, defeats and deaths are never final. They're just an opportunity for God to do something greater for his glory and your good. Opportunities for God to do some resurrecting because there is no resurrection without some death. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives, the Bible says in verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Here's Jesus praying, Father, if there's a plan B. Have you ever prayed that? I mean, I know I have. 
How about a plan C? D, E, anything, the rest of the alphabet, let's go through it. Whatever is going on, God, I, I, I just, I wonder if there's another way. That's kind of the prayer sometimes. And if you're ever prayed that way, then, then you're in good company. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. If there's another way of getting your perfect will done that does not require drinking this cup of suffering and wrath, hanging on a cross, putting these people that I love in a place of temptation to doubt your goodness, love, and power, then please, let's go with that plan. You know what implications I think this has for us today? That you're never wrong to ask for God's deliverance from whatever difficult situation you're going through. Maybe somebody's told you that, well, you know, you're a Christian, you're going to go through difficult things. You just got to buck up and go through it. You're never wrong for asking God to deliver you out of something. Whatever difficulties you may be facing right now, do not be condemned for asking for another way. Pray fervently, pray incessantly, pray boldly. God, if there's another way, let's do that instead. It's never wrong to cry out to God. Hebrews says to come to him in your time of need. So when you need him and you need his help and you're asking for another way, then you go directly to them if there's another way so we can pray for God's grace to deliver us. It would be his delivering grace so that we can have faith and hope in him. And why? Why would we pray this way? While we pray for God to, to deliver us from whatever situation it is, and I don't know what it is for you. There's all kinds of situations in this room. To a person, there's a different situation that I'd like to be out of, that I'd like to be beyond, that I'd like to be this season to be over. So why do we pray this way? Because we've seen God do it before. We've seen Jesus do it before. We know he's the resurrected Lord. I've seen God restore people. I've seen God heal people. I've seen prodigals come home. I've seen miraculous provision. I've seen people be delivered from all kinds of things in their life and begin to walk in the fullness of Christ. So we pray with a hope to a God who often responds to the desperate cries of his children because sometimes there is another way. So we pray just like Jesus. But then watch what Jesus prays next because this is the place of surrender that God will take us all. This is the place of pressing that God is taking all of us. This is the garden that we all must go to. A place of surrender where we're willing to say these eight powerful words, yet not my will, but yours be done. But isn't that like a faithless giving up kind of prayer? I used to think so. But let's dispel that demonic myth. Because some of us might say, well, that's not a prayer of faith. To ask for one thing and then pray, but your will be done, as if it's a caveat. No, then Jesus lacked faith. He prayed this very prayer. And it's not a prayer of defeat. It's a prayer of trust. A prayer of faith and obedience that says, I am asking for you to do this, but I submit to your will, God, no matter what the circumstances look like ahead. It's really the highest expression of faith to submit my will to the sovereignty of God when I can't see the answer because it's too dark to see ahead of me. And the real prayer of faith is the prayer that trusts God regardless of whether the answer is yes or no or wait. Wait. 
that I pray, not my will. Listen, it's not giving up, it's giving in. Giving in, I don't think we're to give in. Oh, yes we are. We're to give in to the will of the Father. We surrender and we trust and we wait on him. God's will in our lives is always, listen, no matter what we think or what it feels like right now, God's will for our lives is always the best plan for our lives. There is no better plan for our life. So we keep praying, we keep believing for an answer. However, what we're gonna find is, is that in our cry for delivering grace, which is fine, I'm crying out for God to deliver me and for the grace to be delivered out of this all day long. But what I'm gonna find is if I'm not delivered out of it, that I'm gonna get something even better. I'm gonna get God's sustaining grace. That's gonna allow me to be able to persevere and it's gonna create character and it's gonna give me hope that is unassailable. His sustaining grace to what? Submit to his will even though suffering and difficulty will come, which is exactly what Jesus did. So in the end, as we walk in his footsteps, we will look more like Jesus than ever before. I wonder this morning how many of you need sustaining grace? Well, know this. God's got more than enough for all of us and everybody that he's breathed life into. Here's the truth. God's will for your life always brings glory to his name and Christ's likeness to your life. God's will for your life will always bring glory to his name and make you look more like Jesus. When you are submitted to God, your will is God's will. That's how I want to live in such a way that what I am doing is exactly what God wants me to do because I am submitted to his will and the result will always be for his glory and for our good. The circumstances may not be good. Hello, they're not. Sometimes they're bad. But it could be that no matter how difficult they are, in the end, God's sustaining grace will get you through to the place of greater glory for his name and a greater good for your life. Even what the enemy meant for harm, he can turn it out to be for our greater good. There's never been, listen, there's never been, as we're thinking about today, there's never been a more tragic death than the death of the Son of God, and yet it turned into the greatest victory in all of history through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The loss of one life led to the salvation for every life that would call on his name to be saved. So I want you to know the joy and the good that can and will come out of your suffering and pressing, and it will far outweigh the pain that you're going through right now. Right now sometimes we don't need God to deliver us because God wants to resurrect something in us sometimes we don't need God to deliver us because God wants to do some resurrecting some things need to die in my life so he can raise something back to newness in my life here's what you have to realize as Jesus prayed this prayer only you can pray this prayer for you Nobody else can pray this prayer for me. Nobody else can pray this prayer for you. Nobody else could submit your will to God's will. Only you can. But when that happens, when we make this 
statement of faith, if you will, in Christ, his sustaining grace floods into that moment and he's gonna be with you every step, no matter how painful it might be, every step of the way as you move towards your own resurrection because your greatest trial then can be resurrected to your greatest testimony. Remember I said that uh, the olive press, Garden of Gethsemane means garden of crushing and it's in the Mount of Olives and um, I did a little research on olives and pressing and crushing this week and when I say research I I googled it so um, (laughs) listen when everybody says they did research that's 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 what they're saying unless they're a theologian or a scientist or something maybe they started with Google and then spent a little more time but I, I was looking around and just looking about olives and oil and man there's some expensive olive oil out there I mean wow but you know I thought about that that the pressing and the crushing of that olive produces an oil that is far more expensive and beautiful than the olive by itself There's a pressing in our lives that produces an oil of gladness. There was a pressing in Jesus' life that produced a joy that was set before him of being able to do the will of the Father. And then I thought about this. I also saw this, that it takes a lot of olives to produce just a little bit of expensive oil. And I just look at all the people in here, and it takes a lot of our lives being pressed and crushed to produce a beautiful, fragrant, expensive oil that we pour out before God together as the church. The expensive oil is your lives joined together to be the beautiful church. The oil of gladness, as Psalm calls it. So let me encourage you today, when you obey God, it's a win-win situation. He's always, his will is always for his glory, and it's always going to be for your good. But at that moment of surrender, that resurrecting prayer, if you will, the joy that will flood you will be just like the joy that started to flood Jesus. This is the oil of gladness, if you will. This is the anointing of the Father in these moments. And then it says in Luke twenty-two forty-four that he prayed even harder. Not to pray harder that God would have another way this time but that he would have the grace, the sustaining grace to complete the way that God said it was going to be. Maybe he started praying like this, Father, don't let my flesh fail. When they whip me, don't let my flesh fail. When they beat me, don't let me collapse because I've got to get to the cross so you can put this all on me as you said you were going to do. When I get to the cross, don't let me pass out from the pain because I need to endure this for your namesake. This is your will. Don't let me fail you. Notice the difference. Before he's like, if there's any other plan, help me. Now it's okay, this is the plan. So God, give me the grace and sustain me through it. Help me to finish well. Help me not to give in to the temptation that no matter what happens in my life, that I don't not trust in your goodness. 
should be our resolve. Not my will, but yours. And maybe that's your prayer today. Give me the grace to complete your way, God. And the amazing thing is this. We have the power of the resurrection today to remind us that in Christ, here's the reminder, even for you and I, death always leads to life. That's our living hope today, that in Christ, death has been defeated. Death has no power. Even the dead things in our lives spiritually have no hold on us because whatever dies in our old life can be resurrected to a new life in Christ. The resurrection is a daily reminder that even when the enemy means something for harm, God works together for our good if our hearts belong to the risen Savior and we're submitted to his will for our lives and receiving his sustaining grace. And I promise you this, his will for your life is going to be for his greater glory and your greater good. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. We'd like to stop that verse right there normally. The power of his resurrection, and we celebrate today. No, we're going to have to celebrate the power of his resurrection and then also the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The more we die to ourselves, the more conformed to Christ we become, and the more resurrection power becomes available to us. Now, in closing because of what Christ has done. He is with you and me today until the end of the age. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a Savior who's gone before us and is with us, even in our own gardens of pressing and anguish. He's with us as we pick up our own crosses. He's with us as we move towards our own deaths and our own resurrections, the resurrected life on our way to the final resurrection where we will be with him forever, where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more anguish, no more crushing, no more sickness, no more tears, no more fear, no more death, only life abundant and eternal. Why? Because Jesus was willing to say first what you and I still have to say today, yet not my will, but yours be done, God. And then I trust you, Lord, as a resurrected king, that you're going to resurrect things in me. No matter what you're going through today, that Jesus is a risen Savior who still raises dead things back to life, dead people back to life, dead situations back to life. That's who he is. So I want to encourage you, as Jesus did his own disciples, don't give in to the temptation to not trust in the goodness and the love of God the Father, who proved his love for us by sending his son for us while we were still sinners to take our place so that we could serve and testify of a resurrected Lord. That's the gloriousness of this day. Amen? We serve a risen Savior who can still do resurrecting in our lives each and every day. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.